And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris here with you on this Friday. On this episode, we'll discuss the recently surging Blue Jays. They are right back into the thick of the wild card race. 8-0 so far in September. We'll dig into them and discuss which potential wildcard team is the one we'd least want to face if we were a team already in an LDS sort of position. We're going to take a look at what's on Eno's dashboard, something that carried over from the last episode, so we get a sense for how Eno's mind works and what's, what kind of lens he's looking at. Yeah, doesn't work. The, the, well, the successes and the failures, both are important. <laughs> you, can, you can learn more from those failures, so it's important to, to dig into those. I had a few follow-up questions about Hall of Famers, and that it kind of slides into this team greats versus Hall of Fame thing, and a few extended thoughts there, so we'll get to that a bit later in the show as well. But really, the Blue Jays are where I wanted to start today. I even found my hats, which is you know great news. If you were listening last week and wondering why I've been wearing the Padres hat so much, well, I've found all my hats, so that's a, a huge victory for me personally. But a lot of victories for the Jays lately, including a four-game sweep over the Yankees this week. So then I was sitting at a 51.9% chance of making the playoffs. They were down at 8%, I want to say, two weeks ago. So definitely kind of where the, the A's and, and Mariners have been living in the AL for most of the of that time. This is a good team, though, because the Jays, they're first in the league in home runs, hit 217 home runs this year. They're second in WRC+, and not surprisingly, they're second in K percentage, too. So they have the look of an Astros sort of offense, and they could have a healthier George Springer back in the fold come playoff time as well, which has been the case for only about 60 games so far this season. So I think the questions people have about the Jays We'll continue to point back to the pitching. Like, is the pitching good enough? And I'm leaning, yeah. I mean, you talked about this when we were looking at just stuff in command numbers for for staffs. I think a couple weeks ago with bullpens in particular, they're good there, but they're also good in the rotation. We love that Barrios edition back at the trade deadline. You know, Ryu has been solid, and Robbie Ray has pitched like a true frontline guy. Plus, you got Alec Manoa. Matt's is really surprising the most. Uh, right. Uh, I just didn't even think he was a credible starter. And then to go to the American League uh, to see his strikeout rate go back down, uh, but somehow corral the homers while pitching in Dunedin um, and Toronto. Uh, those, all of those things surprise me. Um, and maybe he's pitching over his head a little bit, but I, I think he's like proven that he's a capable fifth starter. Um, you know, somebody that can get you there. I don't think he's necessarily somebody that'll pitch other than maybe an inning uh, in a postseason matchup. Right, right. But I, I think that's a, a great spot to be in. If Matt's is your five, you're more than okay. That means Alec Manoa is a big part of the plan, but doesn't have to be the guy. You know, I think mm-hmm. the arrival of Barrios and the step forward from Robbie Ray 
took a lot of pressure off the Jays' young starters because we thought earlier in the year the young starters especially would have to be phenomenal if they were going to make a run like this. They've got a little more buffer because of some other things that we just didn't see coming. But I, I think one of the questions they would have to sort out if they get into a tiebreaker scenario or if they do end up playing in the wild card game, do you throw Robbie Ray in that spot? Is he the starter you trust the most right now on this staff if the season is on the line? I think there, it does matter a little bit if they're home or away. And most likely, if they make the playoffs, it's the second wild card just because they have to overcome more teams to get the first wild card. Um, I mean, if they get the first wild card, maybe you throw Ryu because he's been really good at home. Um, but uh, I mean, he's been really good away as a, as a Blue Jay. <laughs> Did you throw Ryu on the road? Like, how much do you trust home home away splits like that? I mean, it's only two years, but uh, you know, home home for him has meant more homers, and that's that's what the park has. That's the park factor. Yeah, I I think I trust it more with a skill like that than with the broader result, if that makes sense. Because I think that link can make some sense. Like the way a guy pitches, his approach could you know, not fit or fit particularly well in a park. So, well, how about this? Your next series is going to be on the road, no matter what. Mm-hmm. So Ryu can be your game one starter in the, in the next series and still benefit from that home away split. And in general, I trust the guy with the larger strikeout rate. That's, that's it. I <laughs> trust the guy with the larger strikeout rate. Robbie Ray's striking out nearly a third of the batters he's seeing this year. It's a big difference. I, I think yeah. you have to go Ray. And it's, again, not not the kind of thing that I would have expected to say going into the season. But I'm on that side where I trust those skills enough where, yeah, he's the guy that I would want to have on the mound in that elimination scenario, that one, one and done scenario. A little bit underrated uh, for them um, as, a, as a new thing that's just happened is that Julian Merriweather is back. Um, and... Uh, you know, he only has four innings, so his 50% strikeout rate is uh, not stable. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he has really exciting stuff. So I think that, you know, with Romano, um, I think that every once in a while with Romano, you're like, whoa, he put two guys on, you know, what? how's this going to end up? Having Merriweather as like a, oh, we'll just take Merriweather and put him out there now, you know, is kind of awesome. Um, and it's like okay as Tim Miza, I don't know exactly how to say that, and Adam Simber um, have pitched as the as the setup guys. Uh, just having Merriweather back makes that more of a foursome at the end instead of like a threesome and and hope you've got enough otherwise. Yeah. So uh, your I think your postseason bullpen is mostly just Merriweather, Miza, Simber, Romano, and Mats uh, as a lefty. Um, in that group. Yeah, and hopefully uh, you, you don't run into trouble where your starters get rocked early because I think the depth in the bullpen is a, a slight weakness. That's true of plenty of teams, not necessarily an indictment of the Jays as having any sort of problem. But I just think the way that offense is built especially makes them a really dangerous team beyond the wild card oh round, right? God. Like they're, they're a team you don't want to deal with. If you're the Rays of all the possible wild card teams right now, I don't think you want to see the Jays. And they're at the top of your list right now. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And one thing that I really like about it is that it's actually a fairly diverse lineup in terms of skills and, you know, things they bring to the table. 
you've got you know kind of more grinded out at bats um, with Springer and Simeon. You know, guys who will take pitches, who will have long at bats, uh, will take walks. Vlad is in that group, but he's also just a hard hitter, and and he can hit it hard. I just wrote this piece about you know uh, players that could push their teams into the postseason. And Vlad, uh, you know, his ground ball rate is up in the second half. I've talked about this on the podcast. He's been, you know, seeing some some more low four-seamers to kind of entice him to hit some more grounders. It actually doesn't matter a little bit, you know. He hits the ball so hard that if you're throwing him high stuff or low stuff in the zone, he's going to hit it hard. So he brings something to the table that uh, very few other teams have. Just a guy who can hit it hard all over the zone and take walks and will make a lot of contact. I mean, it's it's a great combination. And then you've got your kind of wild uh, swingers in Bo Bichette and Teoscar Hernandez. And it's it's kind of weird to to say that as um, as a bonus, as, as like a good thing. But I actually think it is good to have a couple players like that on your team because... Let's say you run into a guy that has gr- extreme, like great command, right? And your and your grinded out guys are just taking called strike threes too often, right? And they're trying to grind it out and they're trying to grind it out, but they're they, like this other guy has great command and uh, they're just not. It's not a good matchup. Um, to have a free swinger in there might actually uh, be a good alternate when there is great command. This guy. He's just placing a little bit outside the zone. Well, Bo Bichette doesn't care. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he's not going to take it. You know, he's not going to take it and allow the umpire to maybe call it strike three on a pitcher. You're like, ah, that was a ball. No, Bo Bichette's going to swing at it. And that actually might, um, I-, I would love to like kind of suss this out a little bit. If like maybe against a great command guy, you do want some free swingers. You know, some people will just get out there and and, and, and don't really care about like, is that a ball or a strike as much? So um, I just like, I just, I think the lineup is really good up and down. There's um, I, I, the one thing that bothers me is, uh, is Springer wearing like a big old brace? Have you seen this? I haven't seen the brace yet. I don't know if I, if it was just like one game or if, if it's a, if it's a temporary thing, but um, it looked, it looked big old and clunky. And uh, uh, you know, if he's not, at his best, I mean, they can do fine. They can do fine, and they'll they'll just use him more as an as an AB. Like as a, they'll probably DH him and like use him as a good you know grinded out AB, and he'll still bring value to the table. But it won't necessarily be the Springer that like at times put the Astros on his back. Yeah, I, I think because they've got so many other ways to beat you, they don't necessarily need him to be that mm-hmm. guy right now, which affords them a little bit of buffer. But yeah, I mean, I would say. The thing about the Jays' approach as hitters, that varying approach that's interesting to me, is maybe that's one of the ways to unlock uh, beating a bullpen that can mix and match the way the mm-hmm. Rays do, right? When the Rays mm-hmm. keep throwing the kitchen sink at you, if you've got a lot of hitters with similar approaches, they can keep zigging and zagging before you can adjust. But if you've got a bunch of hitters in the lineup that that go at it differently, that might be one way to break down a bullpen like that, or to at least make those bullpen games a lot less effective. Yeah. Do the Yankees have a Boba Shet? You know, uh, not, the, mo- most teams don't, uh, but when I, I think, yeah, when I think of the Yankees, I think of everyone's like six foot six and like 250 pounds <laughs> <laughs> and just grind it out at bats that take, you know, six, six pitches per plate appearance. Um, and, and they strike out a fair amount. 
you know, I, I think I think lineup diversity is something that I've been chasing for a long time that I haven't. I, you know, I've been asking uh, people who model in sim games to like, could you? There's a there's a, a season that's very similar. You can find an Adam Dunn and a Vladimir Guerrero senior season that have the same woba, like the same production. Um, in totally different ways. And I, what I want is someone to sim a season of a lineup of just Adam Dunn's and just Vlad Guerrero's with that same Woba and then a lineup of mixed Adam Dunn's and Vlad Guerrero's. Right. See how, see how much varying it up actually My hypothesis impacts is the that even the simulation would, would, would produce, uh, that and just because you think about like, um, if you had a like, if you had the very extreme, where you had a guy who just walked hundred percent of the time, and you had you had a guy who hit singles hundred percent of the time, um, I guess the guy who hit singles hundred percent of the time would score more over the course of a season because you could score on a single from second. Yeah, right. It wouldn't just be station to station. The occasional roped single that <laughs> it right. somehow scores the runner with two outs. Right. So uh, uh, that's not a great example, but it, it is the sort of what I'm getting at is that maybe it's best if you had a guy who you had a guy who walked 50 percent of the time and hit a, a single the other 50 percent of the time. All right. Well, let's flip the script and look at the NL just for a moment. Same question. You know, which potential wildcard team do you want to avoid there? I guess that group would really include the Phillies. If we're for being very generous, the Mets, uh, the Reds, the Padres and the Cardinals. Yeah, you're just gonna leave the Dodgers out. I guess we're, I'm thinking about this in terms of that particular game, right? So if you're the uh, Dodgers or the Giants and you end up in the wild card, who game, should scare the Dodgers the most? Who would scare the Dodgers in that one game scenario? Because I think the Dodgers are the clear answer. If they don't win the NL West, they're the wild card team that the rest right. of the NL doesn't want to face. Yeah, so but, that's what I say. But who's that next leave one? Leave out the one answer. <laughs> no, the, the, we have to bypass that because it, it seems too obvious. Um, I, you know, I'm just I'm really starting pitcher centric, and so. I want the best ace. So you're talking Aaron Nola, Jake DeGrom. Well, yeah, a healthy DeGrom if the Mets find their way in. That's a nightmare scenario for you. I mean, especially if you're the Dodgers and DeGrom's healthy and he can go six, look out. Yeah, because you could get lucky and get good Diaz and good Familia and just finish that game up. Um. Yeah, I think the Mets sneaking in would be bad news for the Dodgers. Uh, Reds' ace is Luis Castillo or Sonny Gray? Luis Castillo. It'd be Castillo, I think. Yeah. I mean, he's an ace. He's a good ace, and I'm not trying to denigrate him. But as a as a scariness factor, I'm not sure. The Dodgers' ace is you, Darvish, or Blake Snell. Darvish's recent form, impossible injury. Even though they try to say he's healthy, make me think mm-hmm. they might want to throw Snell there. And it does negate some of their left-handed bats, right? I mean, if you think about that, uh, that I mean, it's they do have Mookie bats. I'm not saying they don't have good uh, power righties. I mean, Pollock is there too if he's healthy. But um, Muncy negating, like not negating, but like you know, reducing the impact of Muncy and Seager, uh, and getting Bellinger to complete out of the lineup. Although <laughs> these days you kind of almost want him in. Maybe you want him in. Anyway, yeah. Um, uh, uh, I would say that um, I kind of think that might be that's the most realistic one because the Mets have a lot to overcome to get in, right? So I think the most realistic uh, tough scenario for them is the Padres. The Padres have played them really well. 
And the only thing that I would say is that familiarity breeds, no, what is it? Familiarity breeds contempt, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Well, that's, 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 that's been true. true. Um, but also, um, does it help them to have seen Blake Snow? Um, even on this good run, you know, to, to see what his strategy is like and, you know, how many wrinkles does Blake Snell have left? Uh, you know, is he going to go to the curveball more or uh, throw the fastball even less or what is it, you know? Um, any case, uh, I think Snell and a Padres lineup that is clicking is the scariest for the Dodgers. Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair, but I do think the the long shot scenario. I mean, if the Mets take that spiraling Yankees team this weekend and sweep them and increase their odds and put some pressure on, that's a scenario you really don't want to see if you're the Dodgers right now because they do match up so well, especially in that one game scenario. And there is some uh, there is some momentum. To, I, I I don't know. Uh, I, I don't really want to litigate the whole. Uh, was it torn? Did they lie? You know about Jacob Jacob Degrom's um, short, uh, elbow, but uh, there does seem to be some momentum for him to like uh, start possibly next week. You know, mid September is the, the 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 thing I've been I've been you know hearing thrown around, and he could actually make a difference to their postseason chances just to get out there and maybe get him two or three wins. Yeah, be huge if they find a way to get him back. And it's a Friday. We're definitely not going to dig into the the tear and the things that have been said about it and the time. No, sorry, not on a Friday. Can't do it. Uh, Although I will say, uh, the most recent tweet uh, by John Heyman about, um, oh well, you know, Sandy was only just to like sort of take care of the Mets for a couple years, and he never really wanted to run uh, baseball ops. I have to say. Um. Yes, we we can we can tell we can we we can see that from the outside. <laughs> <laughs> He's running it like uh he doesn't want to be running it. <laughs> I mean, there's this whole thing. He said, "Um, I wish I I would have uh I would have checked uh what is it I would have checked with any women um in leadership positions uh, about Jared Porter um if uh if there were any uh well." It was a Jared Porter, Zach Scott. One of them worked for a woman GM in Boston, Raquel Ferreira. Yeah. I mean, it takes like three seconds of research to find that one out. And I would say in light of what's going on and how and how much of this stuff is coming out and in light of kind of the new Jonah Carey stuff that, or the it's not new, but the kind of Jonah Carey filings, court filings and stuff. I think it behooves us all. And it, I don't want it to be like it's not like a narc thing. You're not trying to like out people. You're not trying to be a cop. But it behooves us all to ask questions. And it doesn't it doesn't have to be, oh, I need to find someone of an equal of his. No. You would have found Jared Porter out if you'd asked the writers. And don't pretend this is something we don't do. Because when Brett Laurie was traded from the A's, they, they asked writers what we thought of Brett Laurie's makeup. They asked writers in that case? That, I don't remember. I mean, I wasn't a writer and still really not. This wow. is just a thing I know. That's so weird. If you're if you're asking writers when you're making a trade, you can ask writers when you're signing an a, a, JM, a GM. Yeah, of course. I mean, writers deal with front office people regularly. And try to ask writers of slightly different backgrounds. Because if you ask a bunch of white dudes, is Jared Porter good? And Jared Porter's been leaking them information. They'll be like, yeah, 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 Jared Porter. 
and that's what happened. <laughs> like, right? Like that's that's what happened when he was hired. It was it I was mean, all that's, praise. That's probably from the source of all the the written praise. Yes, uh, exactly. So uh, it's a dirty game, journalism. Uh, but I would say that like just generally, the idea is ask more people, ask people at different levels, ask people of different backgrounds. Uh, want to do your job. Well, yeah, if you don't want to do your job, you know, maybe let it someone else through. do it. Yeah, let someone else do it. Don't, like, put your, your son in an AGM position and then just uh, hire, you know, whoever without checking their background. Never a dull moment with the Mets, uh, that is for sure. Still a good team. Yeah, I mean, like we said, probably the, the team the Dodgers would least like to see if they find their way into that wild card scenario with a healthy DeGrom. I don't think anybody wants any part of DeGrom in an elimination game at this mm-hmm. point. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's uh, let's talk about a couple things that came in as a result of our conversation about Hall of Famers uh, earlier this week, and I, I think there's an important distinction to be made. Like, if you say someone's not a Hall of Famer, it doesn't mean they're not a great player. In that case, you're probably talking about a team great player. So, uh, like Salvador Perez was was tossed out this week, and it's like, well, no, I don't Hall think Hall of very good, Hall of very good, and and that's not an insult. That's not a slight at the player. I, I think that sort of that sort of conversation needs a lot more nuance. It can't just be, he's not a Hall of Famer. It's like, okay, we're not saying he's bad. Like, he's he's still very good. And maybe we could talk about why a player is not a Hall of Famer. Uh, but Yadier Molina, who Britt wrote a piece about this week, I, I think might be right at the line of this. But I, I think he also kind of touches on this idea that I want us to avoid it with everything we do and analysis and even how we play fantasy. I never want everything to come back to one number. Like even if we lean heavily on numbers for analysis, no one number should mean everything. And I think that's true of war in the Hall of Fame too. And I don't know if anybody's like gone that far down to the extreme where it's like, yep, war's gotta be here, or they're not in. But it's still the kind of thing that you need to see like what what else what moves the needle if if the war doesn't stack up to a, a current group of Hall of Famers, what could get you there? What could be the type of thing in your career that is worthy of making you a Hall of Famer. And I think in the case of someone like Yachty, it's a bunch of different things. We've seen him win World Series. We've seen him win gold gloves. He's a 10-time All-Star. I mean, that's. I realize the rosters are, are bigger, but the list of catchers who are 10-time All-Stars who are not Hall of Famers, only three guys. Elston Howard, Del Crandall, Bill Freehand. I think with, with the postseason success that Yachty has had especially, that's not part of war. That needs to count. And it kind of devolves into the typical like pro football Hall of Fame arguments. Well, Eli Manning and Super Bowls, like 
he's a Hall of Famer. It's like, well, it's not just winning the World Series. It's what did you do on those stages? I think that really needs to be part of our calculus as well. So I'm curious what you think of Yachty at first and, and just this this broader idea of like what else would be enough to take someone's resume that might not jump off the page with war and other metrics we look at, but what would be enough to actually put them over the top and, and make them Hall of Fame worthy players? That's interesting. He has an extra 394 plate appearances in the postseason uh, and an extra 36 RBI that would uh, get him over 1,000. Uh, he'll probably get over 1,000 anyway with uh, with the extra season, the last season he's got. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's what I was sort of talking about with um, – th- there's two things going on here for me. One is that, yeah, I, I agree with you that like one-numberism is, uh, is faulty because um, – uh, we're always like improving on the numbers. Like I said, like Yadier Molina was not a fa- Hall of Famer until we put framing in. Now he's a Hall of Famer on Fangraphs, you know. Um, so to kind of be absolutist and be like, well, he's not. Oh, well, now he is. You know, it's like, okay, what what's the next thing that we'll find? Uh, the other thing is um, that I'm thinking of when you're when you're talking about this one team is the thing. Um, we we have found that. Players that the players that are retained by uh, their team, their original team in free agency, outperform players that le- that move from team to team. And there's been different postulations about this, but the 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 general idea is that the the team that retains a free agent knows the most about him. And to me there is probably something we can't see from the outside when a team makes it a priority to retain a player all the way through their career. Yeah, it's increasingly rare in this era. And I think that's definitely something that carries some, some extra weight with Molina because if you think about the Cardinals today, if you've watched the Cardinals of the last 15, 20 years, the first player I think of when you say name a Cardinal is Yachty. Like it's him. Mm-hmm. It's not Pujols, even though Pujols was a more impactful player by a lot, uh, mm-hmm. just because of the longevity. Like that does do something in our minds. I think what what surprised me, and this is this is kind of where I entered this point, was I was looking at the the Jaws leaderboard for catchers at Baseball Reference that we were talking about those leaderboards the other day, and Jason Kendall pops as a guy that actually had a much better career than I would have remembered. Mm-hmm. Very comparable to Yachty based on their metrics. Those don't include framing, though. I do think framing and even game calling, right? Being a, a great game caller is something that also would factor in if we're talking about a catcher. And I would say Molina is a great game caller, too. Kendall bounced around a lot. And I wonder how much differently we'd look at Jason Kendall's career if he had been a pirate from day one to day 1500, right? Like if, if every single day of his big league career was with one franchise, maybe we'd identify him more consistently as one of the better catchers we've seen really in the last 20 years. I don't know if that makes him a Hall of Famer, but I do think moving around a lot at some point does start to work against the player, especially guys on the margins. Yeah, and what also would the difference be if those Pittsburgh teams had been good? That too. Yeah, if you're a good player on a bad team, that that can work against you. He has 12 postseason games. You know, uh, 51 postseason uh, plate appearances and uh, 11 postseason hits. You know, it's just uh, he just doesn't have that same um, 
visibility. But yeah, in terms of a hitter, he's a 99-99 WRC+. Plus. Um, Yachty uh, is as well. No, he's a 98, whatever. Yeah, comparable hitters. Um, when you start looking at uh, fan graphs, uh, Kendall, uh, yeah, he doesn't have that framing in there, so he doesn't show up in the same place. Um, with framing in it, but see, that's another thing too, is we don't have the ability to do framing for Carlton Fisk. We can kind of do some with or without you, some guessings, some, you know, there was, there was some interesting work at baseball prospectus that went back and tried to like pretend, like try to kind of approximate framing value. So some of that might be in there, but it's not the same as telling you, we know how good Buster Posey and Yadier Molina and Russell Martin were as framers. And so people might get mad that Russell Martin is the 11th best catcher of all time by, by Fangraphs War. You know, they might remember the end of his career. They might remember the fact that he moved around just like Kendall, right? They might not, you know, he doesn't have that same postseason aura to him. He doesn't have that same anointed uh, one-team aura to him. I think he's maybe even a better example than than Kendall um, as uh, maybe one of these players that should be in the conversation that, that just won't be compared to Yadier Molina. Um, I don't have an easy answer for that because to, to me, Russell Martin should be in the conversation and I, and, I, and I just don't think he will be in the same way as Yadier Molina. And I guess I'm, I'm not trying to uh, dodge the question. I don't think about it in terms of who I would vote for because I will not have a ballot. But if I did have a ballot, I would vote for Yachty. I don't know if he'd be one of the first guys that would get in for me based on how crowded things are right now. Hazel agrees. She's obviously a <laughs> big Brewers fan, but she she respects what Yachty or Molina has done. Uh, but I would, I would vote for Yachty. I, I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And there's a, enough on the, the resume that goes beyond whatever first metrics you're looking at that would push him in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would vote for Yachty. I'd vote for Buster Posey, uh, even if his career ended now. Um, and I think Russell Martin would be the one that would be very difficult for me. Um, and, and he doesn't, he, yeah, he just doesn't have that same, um, je ne sais quoi. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to put your finger on it. Um, uh, and so that's why I think, you know, that's why a lot of people do say, hey, do it by the numbers because your je ne sais quoi is not the same as someone else's. And so you're then you're just falling fo- falling back on the same kind of what we used to call BS of the old writers just being like, well, I didn't think he was a Hall of Fame when he played, you know, <laughs> uh, like like uh, I think there is. There are just there. There's some sort of band of confidence. There's some sort of limits to to how much you want to trust your gut and how much you want to trust the numbers. Because I think trusting your gut too much gets you Harold Baines. And I just I, when I look at Harold Baines's career, I even watched some of it. I, I was like there for it. I, it's not like I'm talking about some old folk. I remember Harold Baines. He <laughs> just never struck me then, and my, my 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 gut as a Hall of Famer. Or now, when I'm looking at number, I think he's probably maybe the worst Hall of Famer in the Hall of Fame. Yachty might become the worst hitter in the Hall of Fame. But the game is more than that, right? I mean, if, if you can if you can be a DH and mash your way in and not even play defense, then you should be able to be an elite catcher and be a solid offensive player and maybe have that work. Because Yadier Yachty, Yachty Molina was an above-average offensive player earlier in his career. It's not like he never was. It's not like he's always been 
you know, mediocre with the bat or anything. It's just kind of a kind of the, the broader picture of who he is. Russell Martin, I'm glad you brought him up, man. He's he, he was just like too early, like it, almost in some ways, because if he was on the current Dodgers teams, we'd see him in the postseason all the time, and we'd remember him as a, a great player. And I think he also loses the team great path too because he played for four different teams. I guess the Dodger Russell Martin is the one you remember the most, even though you saw the Blue Jays Russell Martin more recently at the end of his career. I know he played one more year with the Dodgers at the end, but it's so weird how where players go kind of shapes our perception of them. And contracts. I mean, I think there was there's a, a fair amount of Blue Jays fans that that thought that that contract that they gave Russell Martin was a was a was a bad one, and that it hamstrung them, and that um, he was a bad player for them. And I I kind of disagree on all fronts, um, but you know that may uh, shade your perception of of him as a Hall of Famer. Uh, but uh, by the way, I have to retract my my previous statement. I forgot that Ozzy Smith was in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Yadi Molina cannot be the worst hitter in the Hall of Fame because Ozzy Smith is in the Hall of Fame. But I think that's a good example, too, where, you know, there's a guy who excelled defensively in ways that the metrics may not capture that well. You know, if, if current defensive metrics are not that great, how great are defensive metrics for when Ozzy Smith played? Plus, he was uh, a, a, a face of a franchise in a similar way. Um, and uh, and had some of those similar leadership qualities that we were talking about with Yadi Molina. So, if I think it's the Yadi Molina argument is the Ozzy Smith argument in some ways. There were a couple other names that we didn't talk about as players, maybe putting together the base of a Hall of Fame career. Nolan Arenado caught my eye as one of the the tweets we received. I think he's very similar to Manny Machado in terms of what they've accomplished so far. It is possible, but I think a lot has to happen in the back half of the career to go from very good, you know, franchise great type level into the hall of fame. So I would say not outlandish whatsoever. I mean, the defense is elite. The bat's been really good. I just wonder how much he's going to pay a penalty for. Is it a little bit like Roland esque? A little bit. And he's also got to deal with the Coors situation too. I almost wonder if there's an overcorrection for guys that get to hit in Colorado. Like that works against you. I think Todd Helton may have gotten a raw job, but um, yeah. Uh, and then I guess uh, the, we didn't uh, really talk a lot about Goldschmidt and Freeman as first baseman who could make it. Um, you did say something about you think Goldschmidt falls short. Goldschmidt is very, very close, but just short. Right now, if his career ended today, he's basically Mark Teixeira by by Jaws and by a certain amount of metrics. I think he's going to end up right in that Todd Helton range, which uh, that's where I think a, would be a land. below average Hall of Famer for a first baseman, but um, within within range there would be worse. Like Keith Hernandez is not in, but uh, would be right there. George Sizzler is in. Hank Greenberg is in. Mark McGuire is not in, but that's a little bit complicated. Eddie Murray is in, so uh, he'll probably finish among a group of people who are in the Hall of Fame. So I think Goldschmidt could be in. Freeman is going to take some work. I mean, uh, in terms of just a baseball reference war, like he might need another 10 to 15 war. I mean, right now he's at 42. And uh, if you gave him 15 more and got him to 57, then he'd be in that uh, Joe, Joe Torrey, Bill Terry, George Sizzler, below average Hall of Fame first baseman, but among Hall of Famers. 
Uh, Goldschmidt doesn't have as far to go, but Goldschmidt is further along in his career, I think. He's older, right? A little older, yeah. So I don't know they both have chances, but um, I also think that like uh, I wonder if there's if the, the Hall of Fame is going to follow some of what's happening in baseball, where first basemen are a little bit more undervalued, you know, or you know, you you when you look at who's in the Hall of Fame, we haven't put a lot of third basemen in. Maybe there'll be sort of a movement to like put more third basemen in, you know, that sort of deal. We didn't have any relievers in for a long time, and then we started putting a bunch in. So maybe they'll decide there's a bunch of first basemen in and, you know, uh, Goldschmidt looks a lot like Helton. Helton's not in, uh, so I'm not going to vote for him. Who knows? But um, I, uh, I, I don't think that either Goldschmidt or Freeman are going to make it a no-doubt case. This is, this is part of why I guess I'm, I'm not digging the one-number solution uh, to, you know, the Hall of War for first baseman because you crew so much negative value for your war by playing first base. Yeah. Right. It's so hard to be a positive war defender at that position. It's part of why Goldschmidt is so high is that he was a good defender early on. Yeah. And I'm looking at, so I'm looking and at just a different number. And this actually occurs to me a little bit. You, uh, the, the one failing in this, uh, let's give players credit for staying with their, with their organization is that, um, that might cost them money. You know, like, you know, they might make more money going somewhere else. And let's not hold that against them because they wanted to make money during their career. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I was trying to look at first baseman almost more like the way I would look at a DH. Like, okay, so yeah, I'd rather have a, a good or great defensive just first baseman than not. But uh, just look numbers. at the offense. Yeah, how, how do you stack up offensively? I mean, Paul Goldschmidt's got a career 140 WRC+. plus. That's 14th all-time among first basemen. Mm. Most of the guys ahead of him are pretty clear Hall of Famers. Not all of them. I mean, there's a few guys in there like Lance Berkman, not going to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, Vada, we think, is in. So I mean, for the most part, like that's that's another way you could you could look at it. And say, okay, let's just focus more on the offensive metrics and, and figure out like what's good enough there. But Goldschmidt, I think he's still got more work to do. I really do. I think he's a very good player, but I think he'd be an all-time great D-back who spent time with the Cardinals when it's all said and done. If if I had to guess how we're gonna look at him, you know, five plus years from now. Yeah, sorting by WRC plus, man. Mark McGuire, look at that. Kind of sad, actually. Fourth best first base WRC plus of all time. The uh, only other name that I thought was really, I mean, we got other feedback too, but Jose Altuve I thought was kind of interesting because I just hadn't thought about him in that light. So looking at how he stacks up to other second basemen, you know, just at a glance, still work to be done. But I think it brings us to a pretty interesting question of how we think he's going to age. It's generally a position where players do not age all that well. Altuve, kind of a clear physical outlier in terms of his stature. The bounce back that he's had in 2021 gives you some hope that these next few years, at least in the early part of his 30s, could still be very productive. So I'd put him in the it's possible, but probably unlikely category. You know, maybe a guy that stays with the Astros forever, and that kind of adds to it a little bit. But I would guess he's more like a Goldschmidt type at second base. I mean, 10 war would make a big difference. Right now he's at forty and he's uh, hitting out, <laughs> hanging out with. I just wanted to say this, Eddie Stanky. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness, he's hanging out with Eddie Stanky and Cupid Childs. Love it, Cupid Childs, Buddy Meyer. Love it. Uh, the worst sec, the worst second base by uh, uh, the worst 
second base Hall of Famer by war. I guess there's uh, Bill Mazeroski down there with uh, 36. But you don't really want to just be better than the worst one. That's not a great case um, to be made. But if he got up to 50, uh, he'd be hanging out uh, with uh, Kinsler, Pedroia, uh, Joe Gordon, uh, ahead of Nellie Fox and Bobby Doerr. That's where you start uh, uh, getting into the BGO Alomar territory too. Uh, but ten war. I mean, uh, how many how many seasons do we think he has left? At least four. And I mean, he signed through twenty twenty four, so his contract runs for three more. Okay. And you do, and and uh, he's about to put up four this year. Uh, n- a, a, a normal sort of half a win aging curve uh, would say he puts up four, three, and two. Uh, so that's nine. All right. I think, I think he's got a really good chance. You know, if he, if he puts up nine, he has, he's at 49 and he's got, that'll make him ahead of Zobrist and right there, uh, nip it on Pedroia and Kinsler's heels. And then maybe he gets a two year contract and, and, uh, you know, finishes as a league average player for a couple of years. It, it uh, is a type of skill set. Postseason, yeah. Oh, and there's postseason, postseason to go for. But then there's also uh, the mar of the the cheating scandal. I think in the the further away we get from that, the less people are going to care. Yeah. It, it's it's not going to have anything close to the staying power of of the PED era. It's not it's not anywhere not even the same conversation. Yeah, it's, not, it's at all, also so. not because there's no like sort of a player uh, puni- there's no punitive action against the player. Right, so, and I also think as more time passes, if the Astros win again, which mm-hmm. is very possible, like that changes a lot about how people think about some of the core players from that team too. I do think he has the skill set to age pretty well, um, and the the thing that I I point out is the contact rate. I think a lot of times people flame out from baseball because they have like a thirty five percent strikeout rate and forty. Well, I mean that number's going up these days, but you know, like you, the power goes down to a point where the strikeout rate doesn't play. I think he could have. He's already shown us seasons like twenty eighteen and twenty twenty where he uh, didn't have the power, but he he still was making contact. Um, and if you shove those two seasons together, you still get an above average major league player. Um, so I, I think just based on his contact ability, he'll be kind of like a Michael Brantley, you know, even if he has to play DH, that's a way to keep piling it up. So wouldn't he be, yeah. wouldn't he be kind of the funnest, the funnest DH to have? Here's our DH, Jose Altuve. <laughs> Makes me think I got to dig through some Jason Stark columns to find out who the smallest, he would be the DH, smallest DH in the history is. I would put that out there right now. <laughs> He'd be the smallest player to do it more than you know once in a while. If if he did that for like a whole season or part <laughs> yeah. of a season later in his career, I, I'd say he he would probably of players under five eight or whatever you want to make the cutoff. Like he would end up leading baseball all time and played appearances as a dh that would be almost a, a lot at this it point. Now, dude i'm calling yeah. the start column and the actual thing happening <laughs> <laughs> when you get injured you don't want to wait for answers and options that's why it may be time to explore the nano experience a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. 
Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Post-operative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight? Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So we had a question come in about uh, your Fangraphs dashboards and what you're looking at as, as you evaluate players. What do you like to have on your screen? One of the best things about Fangraphs, you can really customize it as much as you'd like to get those leaderboards and those player pages to pop just the way you want to. Uh, we should start on the hitting side. We talk so much about pitching on this show. We know a lot of the different things you're looking at for uh, for pitching purposes, but what do you focus on with hitters? What's What's the combination of metrics that you like to look through first i don't have too many of the counting stats um i do have the the triple slash line out there average obp slugging uh i have iso uh, isolated slugging on there uh i think that's actually much better than slugging at capturing uh just a person's uh, power um from a results standpoint um then i have uh walks and strikeouts swinging strikes i like i like swinging strikes they i think uh stabilize faster than strikeout rate so you can get a a good sense of um, of change early on in the season if someone has, has changed something at the plate. Uh, for example, Altuve, I think, is healthier this season than he was last season. Last season, he had a 9.8% swing strike rate, which is the worst of his career, and now he's back to 72 which is back in line with his with his, the rest of his career. You could have seen that early on in the season and realized that Altuve was going to have a pretty good season this year. Um, then I have uh, ground ball, fly ball, um, and pull percentage. Um, I like pull percentage. You'll see that over time, uh, Altuve has become more of a pull hitter. That's been the source of his power. Uh, then I have uh, reach rate or O swing percentage, um, which stabilizes super quickly. Uh, and uh, and so you'll have uh, where the example here, I believe, is Juan Soto. Uh, and so you'll have this tiny o swing percentage here on 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 uh, youtube if you're watching uh the o swing percentage here uh for him was tiny to begin with because league average is something like 25 percent on 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 this um uh on this metric and now he's at 11.8 percent he's a league leader number one in baseball that uh that just stabilizes really quickly becomes meaningful really quickly it gives me an idea of what their plate approach is that year it's not always amazing. Like, for example, Randall Grichuk, uh, I think, is the third best improver uh, in O-swing from the beginning of the season to, to the second half of the season. And his splits suggest that maybe that isn't working for him. <laughs> um, but we know that contact rate on pitches outside the zone ages really terribly. Um, so it's a really valuable uh, piece of information to know who's swinging at pitches outside the zone and who's not. 
And the last ones are Barrel and Max EV. Barrel, percentage because it stabilizes quickly and it tells you a ton about the power. And Max EV because it's the one thing that like a rookie can do that will make me look their way right away. Um, you know, you got to have, uh, to be a major leaguer, you have to have a max EV, uh, pretty much over a hundred, 105 in there, uh, to be a powerful major leaguer, it's got to be over 108. And if you do something in the 111 to 113, 115 range early on in your career, uh, you can see Juan Soto hit a ball 113.7, uh, in his rookie season, then you've got my attention. Yeah, as like a 10-year-old, which makes it yeah, even, right. uh, more impressive. <laughs> I should put age on there. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at the pitching one real quick. Yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, it'll cover our faces, which is probably an improvement. Maybe we'll throw uh, screenshots over our faces more often on this show. This is Corbin Burns, I believe. Yes, Corbin Burns. Uh, oh, yeah, that's Corbin Burns of the 882 ERA in 2019. Yeah, yeah that's him. yeah. Um, I, this is in flux a little bit. I see K nine is still on there. I I I kind of leave that on there because um, people are more familiar with it. But K percentage and, and BB percentage are, are superior. I've got those on there. Um, uh, swinging strike rate does stabilize quicker than strikeout rate and does stabilize quicker than called strike rate. So uh, for a pitcher, if they start putting up really dominant swing strike rates early on. Um, like, uh, you could even look at that first year for Corbin Burns where he has an eight K nine and a 15% swing strike rate. I was already interested, you know, it was only, you know, 38, uh, innings pitched. I should have game started on there to get a, a sense of if he's a starter or not. But, um, there was already something going on for Corbin Burns in 2018. And that was still going on in 2019. He still retained my attention because even though, you know, the ERA was terrible, you got this really high canine, really high swing strike rate. Uh, those things really appealed to me. Uh, I'll leave ground, ground ball rate on there because anything over uh, sort of, I think it's like 60% is plus-plus is and, and can be really meaningful. Um, I'll even uh, pay attention if it's over 55%. Uh, home run for fly ball rate is there because it's noise. And there's a really good example there in 2019, 49 innings of Corbin Burns with a 39% home run fly ball rate just tells you uh, something's off. And look at that home run, home run per nine rate of the, uh, the other three seasons and look at that home run for fly ball rate. That is just, that's a straight noise it tells you that that home run rate is just not uh, really worth looking at. Um, Sierra, I think is one of the best one number, uh, uh, things out there. If I, and that's what some of our validation work on Stuff Plus uh, showed us that Sierra was the best one. Um, you know, it beat DRA, it beat uh, FIP, it beat uh, a lot of these other ones. Um, it's complicated though. It's kind of black boxy. You know, it's it's just a. I don't. It's not gospel for me, but it's there. Uh, velocity stabilizes super quickly. And so really early on in the season, you can say, oh, wow, look, uh, Corbin Burns is throwing his fastball, uh, you know, almost two ticks harder this year. A giddy app. And then called strikes and uh, called and swing strike percentage. Um, you know, I think average is like 31. I think that, is that right? Oh. For called strikes and whips, yeah, the CSW everything. seems that seems a little thirty-one seems pretty high, maybe thirty percent, something like that. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, uh, I like that one. Uh, but like I said, swing strikes uh, stabilize quicker than called strikes. So early on the season, I'd rather know uh, a person's called. I'd rather know a person's swing strike percentage than his called strike percentage. Yeah. Hopefully some good insight into uh, Eno's mind there. Maybe a few tweaks you can make. And if you didn't realize you can customize those leaderboards, you will uh, forever see fan graphs differently. It will bring mm-hmm. you much, even more joy than it was bringing you already. If you And learn from me, man. Don't, don't, uh, don't let it stagnate. I mean, I, even, or, even before this, I had to clean them up a little bit. And now, you know, sort of speaking them into existence here on the show, like I kind of want to go back and, and tweak them a little bit. I mean... Uh, it's going to change the way that you look at players. And so you want to kind of manage your own existence, right? You kind of want to like manage your own biases by like removing stats that'll uh, make that, that you think are like, if you leave FIP on your dashboard, you'll think it's important. Uh, but uh, it's mostly not. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I know you get Sierra on yours. And if you look at Corbin Burns's Sierra in that 882 ERA season, it was 355. I mean, that gives you a much better idea yeah. of where he might be headed. It's than like way in line. Like right now, it's like 3.0 or something, you know, 3.1 or something. So it's like, yeah, yeah, he's better now than he was that season. But it, it's not on the order of from like an 8 ERA to a 2 ERA, like, you know. Right. He, he beat his uh, Sierra by more than a run last year in the shortened season. 211 ERA, 318 Sierra. That was a, a bit of a surprise for me. That's part of why I thought the price jumped enough where I'd I wish I had carbon burns more places, but uh, I thought the market overcorrected. Clearly, I was wrong. Isn't it fun to be wrong about a player that you watch all the time? So humbling. Uh, I submit to you most of the Giants this year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're not alone on that one. Uh, I've got some shares of Lamont Wade, but uh, (laughs) other than that, I think I'm uh, pretty devoid of Giants on my teams. Oh, Buster Posey. Buster Posey I was in on. I just thought the year off would be good for him. Yeah, just tons of playing time, too. High yeah. spot in the lineup. There, there. Plus, I'm always like buying cheap catchers, and you know he 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 fell, he fell so far. I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I got him a couple places, too, and that's turned out just great so far this year. Well, thanks for sharing that dashboard with everybody. Hopefully, people found that to be helpful. Uh, we had one more question that came in, and uh, I, I think this is Ooh. the... <laughs> All you from no, that's not all me from from frequent emailer OJ. He writes uh, like you. I've been on board with Robles for a long time. So he was the better prospect than Soto, which I think well, I'm gonna stop right there for a second. I think a lot of that was just age, right? People hadn't seen Soto yet. He hadn't had a chance to make his case. Like the, uh, the also, Juan Soto prospect arc is uniquely weird. Yeah, he kind of just he did all of his good work between prospect list updates. I think. You know what I mean? Where it's like nobody had seen him, so they didn't know how to rank him. Then they they ranked him, and then he went, you know, he went bonkers. And then by the time updates were out, like he was already at a new level. You know what I mean? It was like in midseason updates, yeah, he was like top. He was already like a top twenty prospect, but in this in the year long updates, uh, he kind of just weird things happen. So yeah, I agree with you. I think it's just the shape of his prospecthood that somehow slipped between the cracks a little bit. And it was so fast. You're right. He was such an extreme fast track player that the prospect community didn't have a fair chance to tell everybody how amazing he was going to be. But I, I understand where OJ is coming from. I'm not picking at OJ. I'm more just saying uh-huh. like this can happen sometimes. The 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 Juan Soto one in uh, 
one in a hundred, one in a thousand. I don't know how rare this is, but that fast track to future Hall of Famer sort of prospect, that's part of the reason why when I'm building keeper league teams and I get a crack at prospects, I'm taking chances on very young players that haven't had a lot of exposure or any exposure in some cases to a full season level yet. Um, but here's the question. Uh, OJ always thought that Robles' speed gave him upside, that he'd grow into some power. I, I thought the same thing. Power has been non-existent. Speed is dwindling, and the hit tool hasn't really been evident either. And on the AL side, OJ has also had Leody Tavares since A-ball and has thought of him similarly. A couple years younger, much faster, a little bigger, and this year he's grown to the power at AAA. Uh, how do these players compare, and, and how much does the Robles experience maybe shape the way that you would look at a player like Tavares? And I think it's a good question just because with, with Tavares, there was always speed, always in the profile. Mm. Like that was never, ever in doubt. He was going to play center field. He was going to run well. But there were more questions about his hit tool than there were about Robles's based on the scouting reports. Like if you saw the old numbers on on Tavares, you'd say, oh, okay, there's there's like more risk, more variance. Still a profile we're taking a chance on. 40 slash 50 hit tool uh, grades on Fangraphs. Right. So you could look at him and say, uh, okay, I understand there's, there's a lot of risk here. And you'd still probably take that chance hoping to get long-term speed. I did a few years ago too. So there's, there's enough there to, to gamble on. With Robles, I think I got duped into thinking he was safer than he's turned out to be because of the way the hit tool was advertised. And I don't really know if that's a... A, a, like a mistake that people actually made in their evaluations or if it's just going to happen a lot later than we expected or what exactly the explanation is. But I'm not sure in this case that what's happened to Robles is necessarily the same thing that's happening to Leody Tavares just because our expectations for Tavares should have been lower all along. And I think they got inflated based on what happened last year, right? The Rangers by necessity brought him up, played him in center field and he sort of held his own in a way that made us think, hey, he's really young for the level. This, mm-hmm. this is going to work out great. He's going to keep getting better. The K rate should come down a little bit over time. At the very least, I'm getting 25 bags because he's going to play every day. I think a lot of that was just based on the aggressive promotions rather than things that he'd shown and had kind of pushed into his own scouting report over time. I mean, he does, he does speak to our ongoing question of, you know, why do some players have a sub 20% strikeout rate and get to the majors and strike out 30% of the time and other guys uh, continue having excellent strikeout rates? Um, because he did used to make a lot of contact and that's kind of out the window at the higher levels. And I don't know if it's because he's, he's taking more of a patient approach. His walk rates have gone up. If he's waiting for his, his pitch for power, uh, if it's some sort of lack of two-strike approach because he's just trying to hit for power, um, I don't know what the source of that is. Or if it's uh, a hole in his game that major leaguers are better at uh, at exposing. My current but position... But he, he looks like he's going to strike out more than, than Victor Robles, and that's a problem for me. Yeah, even though the... The other tools might be just as interesting. At least the speed looks like it's going to be just as and interesting. And the power may be more interesting. And that and that might be why Victor Robles flames out completely in the end as he never gets back over a, a 90 ISO, you know? Yeah. yeah, just dangerously low in that that area. So I think the, the thing you hit on that for me is the, the main reason why this happens is the quality of big league pitching being so much better than everything else that – 
you can have a flaw that minor leaguers just can't expose. Right, you maybe you face a few top prospects along the way, and if you you get eyes on the player in those matchups, you see how they go at him, and you kind of maybe get a a bit of a warning sign. But I think it's just it, it speaks to the gap between the higher minor league levels and the big leagues right now. It's as wide as it's ever been, and mm-hmm. that's part of why we're seeing you know, good K rate, good K rate, problem K rate. And mm. what I'm wondering is if we're giving hitters enough time to actually make adjustments before either shuttling them back to AAA, which has come up in the, the Keston Hira conversation. I don't I just don't know how you're supposed to fix a problem that big league pitchers have exploited when you go back to the minor leagues and they can't necessarily do it there. And maybe it's the kind of thing where if it's a scouting report and orgs like pick that up from what happens in the big leagues there are more eyes on you then then it gets back down to triple a and triple a pitchers do try to attack you that way maybe it, it, it does give you a chance to get better but i worry that you just can't fix all of your flaws against that lower level of competition i do have a, a thing on the back burner i'm working on to to maybe um show that some of the difficulty debuts uh are having uh debutants are having uh is that uh trackman has uh given us a better book on everybody uh from the minute they get to the major leagues uh we now have uh hot zones and cold zones that are you know sort of defined by the machines rather than uh than scouts you know um, and so we can say this is this is how to this is how to get the least you know this is where he can't hit the ball hard, uh, this is where he whiffs, uh, these are the pitch types and shapes he has problems with. Um, you know we we've always had books, but I do think that the machines help you have a more precise book uh, that may uh, and also uh, a book that gets to you quicker in a way, you know, like let, let's say you just didn't have a, eyes on him or you had a scout out there, but they, you only saw them once or twice. That's very different than just having the entire track man for that season, you know, on that guy, you know, so much more volume in the information. Yeah. It, it's, it's naturally better. I, Not I, denigrating I, what scouts can do, but like, you know, you'd have to, in order to equate what you might get from like a track man book on someone, you'd have to have someone who followed him around for weeks. You definitely want both of those things working together, if at all mm-hmm. possible. I don't think you want to lean only on the data. I think we've made that pretty clear. Especially if, like, you know, these made a, a recent adjustment and you just don't know where uh, where to kind of cut the TrackMan data and look for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You could have a scout that said, oh, yeah, well, he, he really changed where he put his hands on August 1st. So maybe look at what happened after that in the TrackMan. So... If you want to read that piece in the future or you want to read stuff that's available right now, including Britt's piece about Yadier Molina and, and my piece about how awesome Brewers pitching is. I can't yes. believe you didn't mention it. I, I, <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm, I'm not I'm not hyping them. I'm just I'm wearing other teams hats. <laughs> that's right. I'm, I'm letting everybody else ask. Qu- if someone asks a question AKA, about Aaron Ashby, we'll answer it. But I'm, I'm not bringing up Brewer stuff. I'm just OK. Why Jake Cousins slider uh, tells you a lot about how good the Brewers are at developing and acquiring talent. There you go. So check that out from Eno. Also, Britt's got a piece with Maria Torres as Max Scherzer approaches oh, 3,000 strikeouts. Some that was such a good one. Great quotes in there. One of the best quotes of all time in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 50% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. As always, you can email us rates and barrels at theathletic.com. On Twitter, he's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Monday. 
Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.